This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. Let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Welcome to the podcast. I have a special guest this week, NYPD Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the invitation. It's really nice to see you again. So full disclosure, uh, we had the chance to work together back when I was county exec, and I'm so grateful you've made the time to come. So Keyshawn Sewell is the 45th police commissioner in New York City. She oversees 35,000 sworn, 18,000 civilian employees. Keyshawn, you joined the Nassau County Police Department in 1997. So so you started as a patrol cop in the 5th Precinct, which seems to be where all the trouble is, and then uh, rose through the ranks to become chief of detectives. And along the way, you were trained by the FBI to be a hostage negotiator, and you were the chief hostage negotiator for the county. In this new position, and actually through your career, I'm so intrigued by this hostage negotiator position. Obviously, you learned how to negotiate with hostages and that sort of thing, but did it give you the skills to navigate? difficult personalities at work and in the public as well? So that was probably one of the, the, the best parts of my career, being a hostage negotiator, a crisis negotiator. So the skills do translate in, into uh, what we do every day, what anybody does every, any day, which is uh, labeling emotions, uh, being able to determine what the person wants, making sure you listen, have active listening skills. So um, I think when you are in an environment in policing, when you have to deal with a number of different personalities to be able to determine uh, what is their focus, what is their contribution, what do they want to be uh, known for. Are they looking to make a splash? Are they looking to um, just get some sort of advancement? Or are they looking to cooperate with the situation at hand? So I think those active listening skills that we learn in negotiation and that we practice uh, come in very handy. Yeah, I'm sure, because there are difficult personalities everywhere in oh, everybody's workplace. Just a few. <laughs> <laughs> and the more you have that, what Mayor Adams called that emotional intelligence, being able to read the signals that may not be spoken is incredibly helpful. It is very helpful. So I want to talk about uh, just very broadly and then drill down a little bit. How are the numbers? How are we doing here in New York City? So the numbers are very encouraging. We are in a dramatically different place than we were uh, last year. When, before this administration came in, shootings were at a 15-year high. Uh, homicides were up, uh, major crime across the board and the major categories were up. We, we re recognized that the first thing we needed to do was get a handle on the violence, on the guns, the shootings um, overall in the city. So we put in place initiatives to be able to address that first and they worked. Um, shootings and homicides are down double digits. Now, the first quarter of 2023, we are down in five of the seven major categories in the city. Transit is down uh, seven or eight percent as well year to date. So uh, we recognize that while we had to stop the violence, we still had to address the other crimes as well and address quality of life across the city. And the numbers that we are seeing are very encouraging and, and they're going to continue to trend in the right direction. You know, I have to say, as someone who comes to New York City regularly now, um, walking across Midtown a lot, I do. It feels different. It feels better. However, the issue of crime is still very politically charged. 
charged, not to mention it does affect real people's lives as well. But I just want to talk the politics of it for a second. Bail reform, you've called it criminal justice reform, is a real political football. And you have politicians bloviating on both sides of the aisle, frankly. You have, you know, the decarceration crowd versus someone like Jim Jordan coming to New York City today to basically crap on New York City. Meanwhile, you and your officers and your detectives have to do the actual work. And I've got to imagine the political pressure gets not just annoying, but also gets in the way of what you're trying to accomplish, which is keeping people safe. Well, that is always going to be my focus. I am focused on keeping the city safe and making sure that people feel safe too in the city. So I focus on what we need to do that. And when we talk about bail reform, as you said, I think we do ourselves a disservice just calling it bail reform. There are a number of different components that are attached to that legislation that uh, presents an issue for us. There are discovery aspects of it. There was raised the age before that. Uh, a number of things come into play when we talk about criminal justice reform. So I'm focusing on trying to advocate for the fact that judges need to be able to determine if someone is a public safety threat uh, when they determine whether to remand, set bail or release. And uh, when we talk about youth crimes, as we see uh, every day in the city, our, our shooters are getting younger, our yeah. victims are getting younger and younger. So for judges being able to look at the whole picture of, of a youth that's brought into uh, the youth part of the criminal justice system, I think is important as well. But we focus on New York City. We focus on the people of the city, the victims of the city, the businesses of the city, and I'll leave the politics to someone else. Do the politicians ever consult you with what you're seeing on the ground or... Does it not work like that? We have a great relationship. We actually started a system where we send out email blasts to our elected officials to let them know what's happening in their communities and with their constituents so they can see what we see every single day. And we we, we expect the feedback. We expect to be able to talk and have a conversation about what we can do better and what we can do collaboratively. So talking about the community, building trust is fundamental to your job. People trust your officers that nothing is more important than that, that there is the two-way communication. There is that trust has frayed in the past several years, how do you bind it back together again? What do you do? We can't do anything without the community and we need the community to trust the police. It's been a a challenging few years for policing in general, and that's not just in New York City, that's really across the nation. But nothing is better than going to the community and finding out what they want from their police department. Uh, This month, actually last month, we started the first community CompStat. Everybody knows what CompStat is. It's been around for uh, decades, uh, probably the greatest crime fighting tool uh, in policing. So how do we make that better? We bring the community into the CompStat process, being able to have them come into the Jack Maple Conference Room in one police plaza through virtual um, means to tell the police department uh, what the challenges are in their communities. But it's also good for them to see how we hold their commanders accountable as well for what's happening in those neighborhoods. Uh, Something as small as derelict vehicles all the way up to a condition for drug use in an area. But having that interaction on a daily basis with our community council hearings, with the meetings that our commanders have uh, across the board, letting them know that we're in this together, I think is going to make the difference. So you being the public face along with the manager of this very big police department, it's inevitable that you will be criticized. Anyone in a leadership position, especially something like this, does get criticized. Uh, I was reading recently that the Civilian Complaint Review Board recommended, uh, I think it was about 750 officers get disciplined in a certain way. You said more than half of those, I'm not going to take your recommendation. And there was criticism for that. How do you handle that? So I want to correct that right now. That is not what happened. Okay, because that's what I read in the paper. (laughs) That is absolutely not what happened. Um, I actually have an internal affairs background. And if anyone thinks that I don't think officers should be disciplined appropriately, they are completely wrong. Mm. And that could not be further from the truth. There is a time frame, a statute of limitations that tolls, I'm sorry, that that goes for certain investigations. There's 18 months. Obviously, if there's criminal behavior attached to it, that suspends that. But what was happening was that we weren't getting the cases in a timely fashion. And at one point, we had so many that were sent to the police department with less than 20 or 30 days for us to review them and either say yay or nay. And we did not have the time to review those cases. So I actually 
actually agree with the CCRB 85% of the time for the cases that I am able to review. But if there is not enough time to review these cases, how fair is that to the police officer or even to the person who's making the complaint to be able to look at it uh, with fresh eyes and say, what do we have here? Is this fair? We cannot have our officers being treated unfairly when it comes to discipline. They deserve the same rights as everyone else. They are held to a higher standard, but they did not give up due process. Well, thank you for setting the record straight because in the uh, in the press, those nuances were left out. Conveniently. Okay. It is absolutely not true. Okay. Thank you for that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Something else that I saw that was very interesting had to do with recidivism in shoplifting. So you're quoted in the Times as saying nearly a third of all shoplifting arrests, that's about 6,000, involved... Involved 327 <laughs> people. <laughs> 327. Uh, yeah. Arrested 6,000 6, times. I mean, we have talked So the about- same people are going... And, and robbing and just taking stuff from stores over and over and over and over. They get out, they go do it again. And I think that article quoted something that said it's absolutely a perpetual carousel of police resources. It just is. And we talk about recidivism all the time. That's what we're focused on. And when we talk about a criminal justice reform, we need to go after the recidivists. They are committing a disproportionate amount of the crime in this city. Businesses are being victimized. These are not victimless crimes. There are people whose livelihood depends on what they sell, their businesses, and how they can continue to, to, to survive in the city. So we need that to be addressed. And I am confident that if we do address recidivism, crime will continue to go down. You are the first female to hold this position in, what is it, 175 One, it was, years? It was 176 when I came on. Uh-huh. And then we're going to have our 178th birthday. That's the way that it works. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> so I, I, I admire the fact that you don't make it a big deal because you've earned this on the merits, the professional merits. However, I got to think a lot of women in law enforcement look to you for advice. What do you tell them? Well, you're right. So I, across my career, I've been the a female cop, a lady detective, yeah. and, and now the woman police commissioner. <laughs> right. So that's I, why I, I actually I didn't lead with that. I because that. <laughs> I think I think when you get rid of that modifier in the beginning, we'll start to normalize women in these roles. Whenever I'm in a meeting and someone starts talking about a case and they'll say the female officer, I'm waiting to hear why we recognized or mentioned. You wouldn't say the male that, officer. Correct. Because that's expected. Right. And so we have to begin to normalize these roles. So um, it means a great deal to me. I don't take it lightly. And I, and I do appreciate the fact that I am the first woman in this role, but it only matters if there's more that come behind me. Yes. So uh, my job is to make sure that I have performed. I have um, shown that this is something that women do and it's not an anomaly. It's not something that was gifted to us. Um, it's important to me to make sure the next woman that sits in this chair is comfortable. Recruitment and retention have been big issues. Uh, Everyone's, you know, you hear on talk radio, whoa, all the cops are leaving, they're going to Florida. How do you get people to come and how do you get them to stay? Well, I love the NYPD and uh, we we are world known, world renowned. but as you said, there are some other agencies that have tried to take uh, what we know to be the best police officers in the world to go to their agencies as well. Uh, I think the new contract for uh, the PBA, the police officers, is going to help tremendously. But it's about making sure that we, every police officer, every detective, every civilian is a walking, talking billboard for the NYPD. We ramped up our recruitment efforts. Actually, I think our recent recruitment campaign started April 5th. So if you're interested, please go online. There's a QR code that you can look at as well. Do a little commercial for the NYPD okay. right here. Where can they find it? Um, it's on it's online. Website? You can go to NYPD News. You can find it on the website as well. We 
we are actively recruiting. We put in a number of classes uh, over the last year and a half that I've been here, uh, 500 and some, a little bit more or less than others. But that's a continuous process. Uh, you know, as we know, the pandemic changed a lot of the, the ways people see themselves employed. Mm-hmm. Uh, policing doesn't lend itself to Zoom. You do have to come into work. You have to show up. I, I can't tell you how much I admire the women and men that do that every single day. Mm-hmm. So we'll continue to be out there. We'll, we'll talk about the advantages of policing, the advantages of service and, and the satisfaction of service to get more people to come join us. You know, we talked about trust in community. Um, I have spoken to just random cops and random people in law enforcement. And it seems to me that you have, by and large, earned the trust of the rank and file. That's good to hear. How how do you maintain that? I mean, I, I've I've heard you speak when you spoke at the funerals of those officers that died when you f- when were murdered when you first came into office. That a lot of people were like, "Wait a minute, this person is for real." And this is sort of a question and a comment. You have this way about you, and I I felt that way when we worked together back in NASA. It's the posture, yes, but it's it's an inner confidence, and I think people just trust it. And I'm wondering if if that's what's coming across, because it's often trust is what you say, but it's also how you act. It's also the the, the emotional uh, tone that you set. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. Is that do you get feedback about that? I can only be the person um, that I would hope would be someone that would come to either lead me in, in my former position or be someone to come and assist me if I need help. It's important that people realize that what I say, I mean. And uh, there is nothing contrived. There is nothing uh, practiced. I have the utmost respect for people in service and for the women and men that do this job because it's difficult. And for the people of this city, the people who are victimized in this city, the people who feel unsafe in this city, I keep it with me because it's important that um, I remember that they are just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are trying to thrive. They are trying to be successful. So when I communicate with them, when I write to them, when I speak in front of an audience, I, I try to think of what I would want to feel mm-hmm. and how I would want someone to care about me and the things that are important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking briefly that you're on roller skates, you're going mm. all the time, you're on call 24-7 no matter what happens. What do you do in your downtime? How, how, does, how, does, the police, <laughs> how does the police commissioner what's, chill out? What's downtime? Um, I used to cook. Uh-huh. And I, I love to cook. Takeout. Now it's all exactly. <laughs> it's all takeout. Um, Instacart. But uh, I don't really have much downtime, I'll be honest, yeah. but I'm but I'm OK with that. You know, this was a commitment that I made and it was a it was a difficult decision to leave Nassau County. I loved the Nassau County Police Department. Yeah. Those are my friends. Those are my family. I yeah. grew up with them. Yeah. And so to make this leap. But how can you say no? Right. To, to be at the pinnacle of policing in the NYPD in the greatest city. Uh, there was no way I could say no. But it was it was a tough decision at first. But I'm not upset that I don't have a lot of time to myself because this is my commitment. Making the city safe is my commitment. Making this department healthy and well is my commitment. And so when this moment is over, because we are all only in these roles for, for a limited time. That's right. Um, then I'll go back to cooking. That's but right. For now, this is what I'm you focused on. You can collect on. the recipes on your downtime. There you go. <laughs> well, I want to say one more thing and sure. you don't have to respond. Okay. I agreed with you about Cardi B, but, but she doesn't have to respond. All right. I want to thank you so much for your time and it's wonderful to see you. And I wish you and all of your officers and all of your civilians the best. It is very good to see you again. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Listeners, if you like what you hear on Cut to the Chase, please like and subscribe. And you can catch me on the radio 4 p.m. on 77 WABC on Sundays. 